providing for such um, an appeals authority. The next slide deals with uh, now very many uh, concurrent processes that would need to be taken at the time of operationalization of the of the legislation. <clears throat> so at the center of it, uh, we have the term of municipal councils of the legislation. So presently, so at the center of it, first we have the term of municipal councils and the outer date of possible presently. So at the center of it, first we have the term of municipal councils and the outer date of presently. So at the center of it, first we have on the right of that, we see the, the next term commencing uh, possibly if the last date is used as it was used in the present term that we have uh, of 1st of February 2027 going up into March of 2032. So all these dates have just been indicated for illustration as to what needs to happen at the time that the legislation is operationalized. So when we look at municipal capacity assessments, for example, it should be completed six months before the end of the term. And immediately, you know, or at the same time, thereabouts, a process of establishing the first IMDA board would begin and it would go six months into the term of local government starting the 1st of February 2027. And as you would see after that, <clears throat> Uh, the midterm capacity assessment of the board would commence from the 1st of February 2028 and completed within six months, as we've indicated in the legislation. A process of establishing. If we go to the top of the that first graphic. IMDA board. We see that uh, the IMDA bill introduced into Parliament. Well, we were hoping that it would happen by the 1st of April 2022 been pushed out and that has happened in June of this year. Uh, the act being operationalized, uh, not 2023, but uh, with the hope that it could happen by 2024, because at that time, war delimitation would need to commence. Uh, and having regard at the bottom of that same graphic that uh, our next national and provincial elections would take place around May 2024 or thereabouts. Uh, going into the period thereafter would be war delimitation finalized and preparations for the next local government elections uh, of 2026-2027. But importantly for the board, honorable chair and members, is that so the present board was established uh, uh, in March of 2019 or appointed, and their five-year term would end on the 29th of February 2024. So the board that would be appointed thereafter, uh, and if you know it is accepted that the proposals that the board that would be established would need to take place not later than six months into the next term, the board that would be appointed immediately after the one that we have presently perhaps serve a term of 2020 of 22 months uh, to give time for the next board to be established uh, going into the 
the next term of local government. Honorable Chair, this slide gives a very high-level summary of the issues that are provided for in the bill, uh, the pertinent ones that have major impact or perhaps very, very different from what we have in the present legislation, and to go through some of them to indicate that or to reemphasize that, you know, the bill or the naming of the bill aligns now with the provisions in the Constitution. We have an authority as opposed to just the demarcation board, and the authority is made up of the board and the administration. Importantly, and to ensure that we have a single authority dealing with both outer boundary changes as well as board delimitation, we've aligned the term of the board with that of the term of municipal councils. Importantly, we've included as a factor that must be considered is the views of the people and communities living in the area that is subject to demarcation. And we've indicated demarcation to, to include both determination of bound, outer boundaries as well as more delimitation. Major redeterminations, which we've defined to take place after every 10 years, and that no changes to boundaries would take place after the minister publishes the formulae for the number of councillors. So public consultation for determination or redetermination of a municipal boundary, there needs to be a report from investigating committee shared prior to community engagements, and the authority may also engage with other interested parties, uh, may not deviate by more than 30% of the norm, but could only take place under uh, exceptional circumstances. And, and one of the requirements would mean would require the board to also undertake a further publication of that deviation in the Gazette for comments. Uh, the establishment of the demarcation appeals authority, <clears throat> and then the important, uh, uh, the other important matter around the provision or the requirement of municipal capacity assessments to assist the minister and the MEC, as well as other line function ministers uh, around the performance of the big four functions of portable water, bulk supply, electricity, domestic water, and municipal health services. So, Honourable Chair and, and Honourable Members for the committee uh, to note the repeal of the, the Municipal Demarcation Act, uh, of 27 of 1998 and then the proposed provisions as contained in the bill that we've shared uh, as introduced into Parliament. I've just included this last slide, uh, which was not in the presentation version, Honourable Chair, that was shared with the members. So this slide includes the, the 24 pages of the bill. That which you see in the in highlighted in green uh, is what is in the present legislation that we have. So all that which is not highlighted where you just see the text is basically new additions or introductions that is in the legislation 
just emphasizing the need that uh, uh, it, it needed to be a repeal and replace rather than an amendment bill that would have been introduced in parliament, into parliament to deal with the matter around the demarcation uh, bill. So thank you very much, uh, Honorable Chair, for the attention. Uh, that is the presentation from, from ourselves. Thank you very much. Uh, thank you. Um, uh, thank you, Dr. Naidu. Um, I, 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 I assume I've just uh, received a message that the minister, in fact, when I started the meeting, I had uh, the minister is in. I, I think there was some breakdown of communication. I'm informed. The minister would uh, join another meeting at 10. Minister, if you have anything you want to say uh, before you leave. Uh, thank you, Chair, and good morning to the members of the Portfolio Committee. No, I, I don't have anything to, to add. Uh, thank you very much, and thanks for your understanding. Yes, I, I will leave at 10 because... Um, I have to brief the portfolio committee, the, the NCOP, sorry. Thank you. Thank you. Um, honorable members, I think let's take the opportunity and allow you, if there are any questions you would want to raise before 10. Uh, I'm, I'm not saying it will help us if we raise questions now and... Uh, use uh, uh, this opportunity. Uh, questions for clarity, any questions in relation to the process, whatever that has been presented. Can I take hands? I see Honorable Brink. Uh, for now, I see that hand. Oh, Honorable uh, Direko, Honorable Mpumza. And honorable uh, uh, can I take those uh, honorable brink? Thank you very much, Chairperson, and thank you for the presentation by Dr. Naidu. Um, this committee has dealt with a number of instances of so-called uh, unviable municipalities or dysfunctional municipalities rather, but they're often classified as not being viable, being merged with municipalities that are viable and functional. And the result is a, what is now determined an unviable and dysfunctional municipality. And uh, the examples are numerous. I can refer to the instance of the J.B. Marx municipality where the former clockware was in fact a reasonably well-performing municipality. And after it was uh, merged with Fentersdorp, uh, it created uh, a one dysfunctional municipality now known as J.B. Marks. And the records will show that indeed it is dysfunctional in terms of revenue collection, expenditure, budgeting, and all of the other measures that this committee looks at objectively to make that determination. So, it is clear that in the past, the Municipal Demarcation Board has underestimated two fact factors in particular, Dr. Naidu, perhaps you will agree with me, and they are firstly 
the higher salaries, wages, and benefits that are paid to um, officials once a merger occurs, either because the category of the municipality changes or because um, there was a disparity in salaries, wages, and benefits. And those uh, officials who had fewer benefits now have to have more benefits to bring them in line to level up, uh, so to say. And that has got devastating uh, effects in many instances with little support coming from National Treasury. The second issue is the extent to which um, mergers in particular uh, cause institutional disruption, just uh, a mismatch of policies and so forth. The span of control of management increases significantly and neither of the institutions or none of the institutions that, that now form part of the merger um, have the capacity to deal with that increased span of control. Now, Dr. Naidu, I've noted the the point about the 10-year um, limit on major reviews, and that's welcome. But what other provisions um, should we look for in this bill that will prevent or act as a bulwark against the mistakes that I've just mentioned being made. Then, Chairperson, on specific uh, provisions uh, in the uh, bill, um, I just want to understand um, one additional one additional point has been added in section 23.1e, section 23.1e of the bill in, uh, in determining and redetermining municipal boundaries, what the objectives should be. Uh, and that provision reads as follows, uh, roughly, according to my notes, um, the municipality must have the capacity to execute any other functions in line with the minister or the MEC's allocated powers and functions in terms of the Structures Act. I just want to understand why would the capacity of the municipality be assessed based on the minister or the MEC's allocated powers? So if you just read that section 23.1e, um, I'm not sure if it's badly phrased or if I am reading it badly, but uh, I, I don't understand why that should be the case. The second question, section 23 sub 2, um, again, under the objectives that should be um, reached by uh, determinations and redeterminations, the additional point has been included that there should be an endeavor to attain the principles of spatial justice, spatial sustainability, resilience, and so forth in terms of spluma, um, which are, as the mentioned here, fairly uh, broad concepts. Uh, and I would just want to know from Dr. Naidu whether he is assured that on that reading, that a, a, a a demarcation authority would know what the intention is of the legislation. Um, my fear is perhaps that these concepts are too broad, but perhaps I am mistaken and perhaps uh, Dr. Naidu can refer us to more specific provisions in Spluma 
that would tell such a demarcation authority exactly um, what the legislative intent was uh, by adding that additional point. Chairperson, then Section 24 of the bill uh, adds a number of additional factors that have to be taken into account by the demarcation and redemarcation authority in making its decisions. Um, one that I have, the first that I've noticed is section 24 sub M, and that is the need for common geostatistical building blocks which support standard geographical hierarchy. I checked the bill and its definitions for uh, the meaning of common geostatistical building blocks. It is not a term that I am familiar with or that I have encountered in any other legislation. And because of that fact, I thought that this is a concept that ought to have been defined. Um, I also can't figure out the dictionary definition of common geostatistical building blocks. It's very, very um, jargon-like. And I would just want to know what does this mean and um, why hasn't it been defined for ordinary people reading the, the draft legislation? Then uh, Section 24 sub N, November, it says uh, factors that have to be considered in addition, relevant national development policies and plans which might impact on the nature of local government and its boundaries. Once again, this is an incredibly broad Uh, and somewhat vague uh, consideration that now has to be taken into account. And perhaps Dr. Naidu can explain to us that what is the policy purpose that this edition seeks to achieve, Section 24, sub N. Then the last one of the additional factors and and Section 24, the bill, relevant national and provincial policies and legislation relating to the reorganization of local government. So once again, very broad, does this mean that if uh, the national provincial government has a policy, that this now becomes a factor in determining the boundaries of municipalities, which has in essence, a constitutional impact. Uh, And the obvious concern here would be that uh, this provision would be used to undermine local authorities who adopt policies that aren't completely in line with national and provincial government. In other words, local authorities that exercise their constitutional autonomy. And I would very much like the comment on that. Then, Chairperson, these regular assessments of capacity that have to be done, uh, I understand that at critical intervals, the uh, old demarcation board, in terms of the provisions of the Structures Act, had to do these determinations. But now the difference seems to be, if I understand correctly, and again, I'm open to being corrected, now they have to be done regularly. Uh, Are we assured that the demarcation authority has the capacity to do these regular capacity assessments, and uh, do they know where to start and where to end and what criteria to apply? Um, you know, simply referring to the uh, existing provisions in the in the Structures Act, sorry, not the Systems Act, the Structures Act is one thing, 
But we also have to admit that the demarcation board has been particularly poor in its uh, assessment of the capacity of newly formed municipalities to fulfill all sorts of functions. And I did mention the example of J.B. Marx, but there are other examples as well. Morimole Mokopong, for example, in Limpopo as well. Uh, Chairperson, and then lastly, there are three uh, emissions in the new bill when compared to the Municipal Demarcation Act as it currently exists. The first emission um, is, and here I will refer to the old provision or the existing provision in the Act, Section 13, Sub 3B, where if Party political positions, which we welcome, there is no automatic mechanism that triggers the removal or the deemed to to bring about the deemed resignation of such a a member if subsequent to their appointment to the authority they are then elected to a party political office. Why has that been omitted? And here, uh, chairperson, I, I must refer to the current uh, situation where we have. Um, the chairperson of the Municipal Demarcation Board, Mr. Tabo Magnone, who is running as the provincial chairperson of the ANC in the Free State, which I think is does enormous harm to the uh, credibility and integrity of the Demarcation Board. But be that as it may, the second omission is in terms of the old Act, Section 5, Sub 2, uh, there was a pro- prohibition on the board borrowing money. No such uh, prohibition is contained in the new legislation, unless I'm missing it. And then lastly, in the old act or the current act, section six sub three B said that the composition of the board must reflect regional diversity, which basically means that the provinces and must, must be fairly uh, equitably represented, I can imagine. But I don't see that. I don't see that or similar provision in the in the new legislation. Um, I have other questions, chairperson, as well. But I'm mindful of time, uh, and so I look forward to the answers. Thank you. Honourable Thank you, chairperson. Greetings to all the members and everyone who's present in the meeting, chair. We've been having some community protests regarding the demarcation processes. And in other instances, we had a situation that some of the municipalities were dysfunctional, dysfunctional were, were clapped together. And as a result, they ended up being more dysfunctional. So I would like to check with the department as to how is the bill going to assist us to resolve the current demarcation challenges? And what is expected from the local, provincial, and national government in order to make the bill successful? Secondly, Chair, what informs the proposed change of municipal demarcation board uh, to an independent municipal demarcation authority? Thank you, Chair. Thank you. Uh, Honorable Mbumza, 
<clears throat> Thanks, Chairperson, and uh, uh, good morning to uh, honorable members and the minister. Chair, the, let's welcome the presentation of uh, the amendment of uh, this, uh, the, the, I mean, this bill, the Independent Municipal Demarcation Bill. Initially, I was, uh, I was uh, questioning myself, why now independent? Now I understand that uh, uh, the, 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 the amendment is aligning itself with the, the constitutional instruction of an independent board. Actually, <laughs> mine is that uh, it will appear to be happening on one point, that uh, uh, indeed, uh, Currently, the board is, uh, has undertaken uh, um, uh, uh, to publish uh, people to make submissions on uh, uh, determination of outer boundaries. <clears throat> and a number of communities have been protesting since the establishment of uh, municipalities, wherein some municipalities would be demarcated uh, within uh, outside their own uh, um, a town into another town in the rural settings and create problems where people had to travel from their own uh, villages across their own town into another municipality, which to some extent negates some of the objectives. As set out that uh, when we demarcate, we have to look at uh, um, uh, the access to services uh, and all those other matters. But my, nonetheless, my point is that uh, the, 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 the vision of the white paper of a viable ideal municipality was a municipality that was to, to be in a position to raise its own revenue to the extent that uh, the municipality would be able to rake almost 90% of its own revenue and to build its own economy. Uh, but that vision, given the geographic nature and the rarity of some of municipalities in the country, it could not uh, lend into the objective reality would be the opposite. We would get a number of these municipalities being relying on the national grant because there are no economies and nothing, no revenue at all. Now, the, 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 the question, my question then is therefore that uh, this major redetermination after 10 years, does it relate to the fact that uh, we will not temper with uh, stability and the capacity building of a redetermined outer boundary municipality for a period of 10 years. And then we'll be in a position to build that capacity and uh, create a stability because this uh, redetermination of outer boundaries within five years has not assisted in the process of building uh, stable developmental municipalities. Uh, does it go along with this assessment 
that this immediate assessment that will be conducted within five years and within if in that period of five years would not lead to assigning powers and functions within the tier municipalities and in the end impacting negatively on stability and the capacity building within that particular municipality. If that would be the case, uh, I would be happy, Chair, but otherwise, if it is not, then we would never come out of a situation where some municipalities would remain dysfunctional because there is no spatial economic justice within its uh, jurisdictional boundaries because of the nature of the fact that they are small towns and then therefore, because such a small towns, there is no viable economic activity. They would never change other than pumping economic development into those institutions. I was saying then, therefore, be happy that, uh, that if this amendment of a major determination within 10 years uh, would be accompanied by providing stability and capacity building informed by these mid-year assessments. In terms of Section 63B of the current uh, 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 Municipal Decommission Act, it provides that that the composition of uh, the Municipal Demarcation Board would have to reflect a, a, a regional print now, in the current uh, proposed bill, such regional diversity is not accommodated for. Is it deliberate or is it by omission? Thanks, Chair. Uh, Honorable Teza. No, thank you, Chair. Uh, mine is just a, a very brief uh, uh, I, I am covered by mostly by by honourable members and uh, honourable Mbumza when he spoke about uh, rural development because I'm quite uh, passionate about about that state because the development chair of uh, of rural uh, municipalities and let alone that we have I have raised uh, a, a number of times that. Uh, uh, in the Eastern Cape, there is a, a municipality there that is uh, a, a stretches all the way to Aberdeen, wherein a councillor cannot be able to cover the entire area uh, in terms of uh, providing the services, and let alone chair to speak to uh, and and hear the outcries of the people in terms of these demarcations. Uh, how is the bill, uh, Chair, going to... Because the Auditor General in, in 2021, in 2020, reports, financial reports, says that the 62 municipalities that have submitted credible financial statements. And uh, that illustrates the, the, the state of dysfunctionality of, of municipalities. Now, let alone uh, rural municipalities uh, where uh, 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 they are heavily reliant on the, on, on the, on the grants of, uh, from, the, from national uh, treasure. 
uh, how is it going to 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 change that that situation of those municipalities to enable uh, 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 the, the communities that uh, are, are, are delimited and, and 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 demarcated within this uh, 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 proposed uh, uh, bill uh, uh, find expression of their own uh, 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 grievances in terms of uh, services that should be delivered to them. That's one chair. Uh, I know that uh, Spluma does talk about uh, uh, the, the representation of the gender parity in terms of the composition of, of, the, of the municipal demarcation board. Uh, I just want to know because uh, section 91 uh, subsection 9 of the bill introduces changes pertaining to the composition of the panel i want to get an understanding chair uh, whether that panel will constitute uh, the representation of women uh, in terms of what then needs to 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 happen uh, in 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 terms of con- composing that uh, Municipality, and I'm sorry, the the the, the panel chair. Sorry about that. Then, in section six six two of the bill, uh, I just wanted to ask chair uh, whether uh, risk management is take will be taken. How will it be taken to to ensure that political party capture of the administration? Uh, who makes appointment of the board members is not based on political affiliation, but rather uh, merit-based uh, appointments. Uh, how is the bill seeking to achieve this? Change? Then uh, I just wanted to to just get a clarity on. On what is entailed in seven in section seven says that the minister should determine the number of members of the board. What is the criteria that the minister is using there uh, uh, in terms of uh, 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 that that section? Uh, I think those are my questions, chair, for now. And yeah, that that's those are my questions for now, chair. Then. Oh, yes. Municipal capacity has been covered. I want to catch those things. Thanks. Thank you. Uh, Honorable Utelezi. Thank you, Chair. Um, In relation to the functions of the authority, as set out in Chapter 2, Section 5C, in relation to rendering an advisory service, um, will the authority follow up on the implementation of the advisory reports, um, and how will the bill mandate that proof of implementation is provided to the authority? Um, my next question, Chair, is uh, in relation to the functions of the authority as set out in Chapter 2, Section 5D, in the matter of conducting municipal capacity assessments, how often will these assessments be conducted and how will the bill mandate the frequency of municipal capacity assessments? 
my next one, Chair, is in relation to the rules of procedure as set out in Chapter 2, Section 15B in the matter keep, of keeping minutes of proceedings and decisions. Will, this, will these be made available for public records? And if not, how will the board be held accountable? Um, the last one is in relation to the delegation of and instruction to exercise powers and perform functions by the board as set out in chapter two, section 17A, subsection um, yeah, 17A, in the matter of the board delegating any of its powers to an employee, how will the access, especially to financial records uh, that accompanies the position of board membership be regulated? Thank you, Chair. Thank you very much. Uh, Honorable Mkalib. Thank you very much, Chair. I think um, members have covered me on the points that I wanted to, to raise, Chair, nevertheless. I still want to understand the proposed independent municipal demarcation authority. And I think in one of the proposed section on the bill, it also refers to the minister being appointing a number of members to become the board members. So I just want to understand the independency if the minister is also going to be empowered by the act to appoint the bill. That is one. And... um, how far does the proposed bill go as uh, regards to the independency? I'm saying this, for instance, now, the chairperson of the board, we know very well, he used to be um, a member of parliament belonging to a political party, and she, he is a currently chairperson now. And if he qualifies also to be at the chairperson, does that uh, mean that he won't be qualifying to become the chair because he belongs to a political party. So how is this, can you be unpacked this issue of independence or independent municipal demarcation authority rather? Uh, what does it entail? Because we know very well in, in, in South Africa, there's nothing that is independent. That is the fact of the, the matter. So the second issue chair, uh, one of the really concern that we, uh, we, we used to raise in terms of the demarcation board when they come here to this committee is that um, they don't have resources. Does the bill going to address the issue of resources? As a result, when they have to go and do their work, firstly, they don't have um, offices uh, in local municipalities. So they ended up using the councillors, the mayors, and depending on the uh, those people at a local level. So uh, at some point, we had some serious concern when they were engaging with us on the committee and said, look, uh, we ended up using the mayor's speaker's office to go and call people uh, whenever we have to take a decision in terms of the demarcation. So does this bill going to address that particular concern? Because if the bill does not address those particular concerns that were raised, it means that we are still going to be having the same challenges because our fundamentally challenges and concerns as the committee was to say that you can't have a demarcation board that is going to uh, take a decision on how people must be demarcated. 
But at the end of the day, those people who are being called to come and do uh, submissions, uh, they must be called by the municipality. So it goes back to my earlier point of independence. Because if a mayor, let me make an example with the mayor of uh, Pokwan. I don't know if there's mayor in Pokwan now since there was uh, the uh, taking out of government and so on. So let's say a mayor of Pokwan is a DA member. And then there is the one now who's supposed to call uh, the public. Surely people on the ground, because people, they belong to difficult political parties. Once they know that uh, this thing is called by the mayor who belongs to DA or NC or EFF, uh, the negative attitude uh, starts to people to say, no, we're not going to go there. Whether the meeting is not called by the mayor to be addressed by the mayor of a political party, whether the meeting is called by the office of the speaker who happened to belong to a political party, but the demarcation board wants to address the community and engage with the community and have a say as a community to say that uh, this is a new proposed demarcation, what is your say? Uh, those people, they are not going to uh, attend that meeting and then they'll be affected like that. And the chair of the board will also agree with me that on a number of occasions, I do have such problems whereby people are saying, no, this demarcation is also not um, correct because you find in a certain area we are divided into three wards. So those decisions have been taken. And as far as I remember, Chair, when we engage with the demarcation board here, we ask them, you guys, when you need to go and address those things after the decision is taken, you are telling us that you don't have powers to go and rechange what has been demarcated already. So those are the issues that we want to understand. If this proposed bill, which will become the law, is going to address those particular issues, because my understanding, Chair, is that each and every law must have solutions to the problem that is faced by the people on the ground. So it will be a useless law if those concerns, as a result, what Honorable Derego was saying, uh, people will be up in arms when you're going to elections. People will be saying that, no, I'm not going to, to vote because I don't want to belong to this uh, particular demarcation. I want to belong to this demarcation. So it's useless if the law can't address what the society is going through. So if we can be uh, assisted to unpack all those challenges, we'll be very happy. Thank you very much, Chen. Oh, thank you. Uh, that's, that's it. Uh... But in terms of uh, checking uh, the, the responses, I, I know the minister said will not be there at this time. I have not checked whether he's still there or not. But let's, let's allow the department, let me say, led by the minister to respond to the issues, uh, whether it's Dr. Naidu now who is here. I think let's respond. Thank you very much, uh, Honourable Chair. So at, the, at the beginning of my presentation, I indicated that provisions that find itself in the bill has been informed by you know, inputs from various stakeholders, but key amongst them were inputs that have been made by the previous and present boards. Uh, so 
as part of apportioning the the responses required, Honourable Chair, I'm going to ask uh, the acting CEO of the demarcation board to to respond to the issues around uh, regional diversity, the matter around Spluma, which is in clause 23.2 of the bill, the factors to be considered uh, in in respect of clauses 24M to O, but actually 24M to P were factors that were sponsored entirely by the the board, but as well as to then deal with the matters that were raised by Honorable Putalezi, uh, specifically the the governance matters relating to the rules of procedure by the the board as well as delegations that the uh, the board may provide to its staff. <clears throat> so, so to go to the the matters raised by the the honourable members, <clears throat> and to start with. Uh, Honourable Brink and the, the matter around amalgamation of, you know, unviable plus viable municipalities and the consequences of um, higher salaries being paid. So let me first say that, you know, when the the intention or as a conclusion of amalgamating three municipalities. Now, remember, this is an entirely uh, MDB process. So if one looks at the processes that were followed in preparation for the for the 2016 elections, those determinations that had uh, taken place then, that was a bottom-up approach. approach. <laughs> where provinces had made representations to the department in terms of what proposals could be considered, uh, which were submitted to the demarcation board. And eventually, the redetermination of boundaries had been taken by the board, whether it was the amalgamation of two municipalities to form one, or in certain instances, the amalgamation of three municipalities to to form one municipality. <clears throat> now, key to that entire process is so once you know such a process is undertaken, a transition-related process also to be also needs to be taken. And when you look at the legislation that deals with this, so Section Twelve is clear in that MECs establish municipalities. Uh, having regard to what would be determined by the board, together with what the responsibility would, of provinces should be, should result in a, a municipality uh, having considered all of the factors that the board would need to apply to determine such a municipality. But when you look at the amalgamation of three, for example, 
from the three top structures of those municipalities, you ought to have been getting the best MM, the best municipal manager through that amalgamation. You ought to have been getting the best CFO coming from the amalgamation of the three. And then the Section 56 that you would have ought to be representing the best of the three that would have come to uh, in terms of being appointed in the newly established entity. Whether that happens is, is a matter for, for debate. But the thing is, the matter raised by Honorable Brink is the inflated salaries that you would have as a result of the amalgamation. And that is as a result of the grading that we would need to, to be cognizant of. And which grading includes the factors around uh, municipal income, the number of people that are living in the area. And as those would now obviously increase by an amalgamation, the sum total of those factors would increase. And therefore, it would have the, the consequence of higher salaries being paid. Needless to say, and I think the evidence is there that uh, institutional disruption does take place. Uh, managing a transition, be it in the private sector, be it in the public sector, be it in the municipal level, is something that requires very, very careful management. And if it is not managed, you know, carefully, uh, you're going to have, without doubt, disruption and, and, you know, which could lead to instability in various areas in the administration, which impacts perhaps uh, into the, the political interface as well. So transition, you know, is a matter that needs to be very, very carefully managed. Uh, a lot of emotions at play, etc. So that which then leads to perhaps the provision where we now have included that says, and a matter that has been raised by Honorable Brink as well, that you know the ten years uh, inclusion is, is welcome, but it has been informed in the main by the disruption that has been caused by. Uh, you know, managing these processes post an amalgamation or redetermination into a much larger municipal area. <clears throat> the issue around section or clause 23E and the division of powers and functions uh, and that which states that the authority must Endeavor to maintain, is it 23E, the, has the uh, capacity to execute any other function in line with the ministers and the MECs, uh, allocated powers and functions in accordance with the Structures Act. So, so presently, the, the division or the adjustment of powers and functions is informed by what the demarcation board has uh, recommended, and we're saying that going into the future, if the powers and functions of 
a municipality are adjusted. This must be considered when the authority uh, does make a determination or redetermines a municipal boundary in addition to the objectives that it must bear in mind, which are aligned to that which is provided for uh, in the Constitution. <clears throat> I've asked uh, requested that uh, the board, the acting CEO, deal with the matters raised around the spluma alignment, as well as the additional functions that have been provided for in Clause 24. But the question is whether the board knows what criteria to apply uh, when it comes to conducting um, municipal capacity assessments. So perhaps firstly to, to indicate or respond to the, the regularity thereof, which has been raised by not Honorable Brink, but I think by one or two other members as well. So we indicate that in the bill, the board must undertake at least one municipal capacity assessment uh, during a term of uh, a local government uh, term. But we also say that the resources dependent that the, the authority may also undertake another. Now, this is an important uh, link in the entire value chain of determining or redetermining municipal boundary because it must be taken into account as the legislation provides presently when the board determines or redetermines municipal boundaries. Now, over the years, and, and when one goes back to the very, very early boards that we had had in place, <clears throat> uh, Capacity assessments were something that many stakeholders relied on, on, on heavily, be it provinces, be it uh, other institutions, be it StatSA, et cetera, et cetera, to, to inform, you know, the determination of uh, how boundaries were informed that were determined by the board but it also gave an indication as to what staff numbers were in place uh, to deliver on specific functions. So when you look at the various, the very early capacity assessments that were undertaken by the board, you would see staff being, you know, identified, numbers counted, et cetera, for each and every function that uh, a municipality was responsible for performing. So even at some stage, you would have the board identifying or unpacking what each of the 38 powers and functions that a municipality ought to perform and in terms of what is expected of it. So there's been various iterations of capacity assessments that the board have undertaken, various uh, methodologies used, uh, at some points in time, and, and I do not want to speak for the board, <coughs> but different levels of responses that would be coming from municipalities in terms of the work that they would undertake in that regard. I think we can use this process to also see what we can provide for in the bill that would assist the board in identifying criteria 
or making it mandatory for what criteria the board should be using when it does come to undertaking capacity assessment. So that's a specific uh, proposal around capacity assessment, but I think it should be also a general request across all provisions in the board. And, and this would be what the process is that we are embarking upon now and in initiating through Parliament, is to see how we come out with a piece of legislation that's going to be there for a very, very long time to assist us and to sharpen the way we deal with boundary uh, demarcation, be it outer boundaries of municipalities as well as the, the inner boundaries. <clears throat> and I think if we do it like that, Honorable Nkalipi, you know, we will be addressing the challenges that prevail. And it does become, you know, a useful piece of legislation that helps us to deal with the various challenges that emanate from matters relating to demarcation. <laughs> uh, Honorable Brink, we, we do uh, note the omissions that you have uh, raised around the triggers uh, for resignation of public office bearers. And perhaps the thinking at the time of drafting was that because we disallow persons holding political office from becoming board members, it implied that we would not have a, uh, a board member that would be uh, becoming a member of a political party. But I think, you know, if, if we need to then uh, provide for certainty to bring back that clause, I think it is something that, you know, we could certainly uh, look at. <clears throat> In relation to 5.2, I'm just trying to see uh, exactly what the provision deals with. <clears throat> uh, maybe I've just jotted it down incorrectly, and perhaps it is 25. Provision of borrowing money. Oh, okay. Yes. Uh, so even that, I think, when I recall from our discussions, Honorable Brink, <clears throat> uh, I think the present provisions in the legislation uh, be it the PFMA in the main, outlaws it. And therefore, it was felt, uh, you know, superfluous to have it in the, in the bill as well. But if that is not the case, I mean, it is certainly something that we will include uh, as part of strengthening the, the governance matters relating to the board. <clears throat> I've asked a colleague, uh, Mr. Ramakadza to deal with the issue of reflecting regional diversity. And I think uh, matters that inform this provision uh, or lack thereof was a, an understanding or a perception that the board must have a representative from each and every province. So nine provinces and so each province being represented, which really impacted on uh, as far as I know, trying to get a board that reflected the requirements and the diverse requirements that we find in the legislation, uh, as opposed to getting uh, a, representative, a representative from each of the provinces. So if that was the case, you probably would not have been getting a more diverse set of skills uh, 
represented in the board. But uh, Mr. Ramagata can, can just also perhaps uh, deal with that as well. <clears throat> uh, Honorable Director raised the issue of, of community protests. And perhaps to say that, uh, you know, you're probably not gonna get everybody in a community that may be entirely satisfied with an outcome. But perhaps, and, and perhaps this could be because communities have been split. Uh, community protests are also as a result of perhaps poor service delivery in, 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 in specific areas and whether demarcation uh, is going to be a, a, a solution to it, I doubt it. But if you have a community protest arising out of a result of a split community, we're hoping that through the, you know, the proposal around the 30% deviation in respect of the norm, that could assist in keeping communities together. And perhaps through that, that would limit uh, community protests if communities were indeed aggrieved by being split uh, as a consequence of trying to maintain a strict adherence to the 15% the norm that we have presently. Why uh, IMDA, why the Independent Municipal Demarcation Authority uh, naming of the legislation and not maintaining Municipal Demarcation Board? I think uh, the case was made for it uh, when we indicated the alignment that we find with Section 155 of the Constitution, but I think it was also responded to quite uh, uh, well by Honorable Pumza, when he indicated that, uh, you know, he had this discomfort, if I can use those words in inverted commas, but saw it, saw the light of it uh, in terms of it now being aligned with the constitutional instruction as provided for uh, in the legislation. Um, Honorable Mpumza also raised the matter around major redeterminations taking place every 10 years. And as I've indicated, honorable members, you know, this is as a consequence of uh, trying to minimize disrupt, uh, disrupt, uh, disruption and to ensure that we have stability. So major also being very, very limiting in terms of how far a board, the board can go. So even if a single ward uh, is under discussion in terms of being moved from one municipality to the other, I mean, it needs to be done after every 10 years. So a really, really, uh, you know, strict kind of condition as to when major determinations do take place. The issue around uh, the municipal capacity assessments, I've spoken to it uh, a little already, but, you know, we feel that we need to see how we get this matter high up on the agenda again.
we believe that we need to see how we uh, uh, get this back high up on the agenda. So I believe we can co-create the conditions that would need to be looked at, the criteria that the board needs to uh, consider that would inform this capacity assessment that they must take within the five-year term, but also undertake a mid-term assessment during that five-year term of councils to see where the municipalities are improving, regressing, etc., etc. Honourable Treza raises the issue of the composition of the panel and uh, the inclusion of women on it, of uh, not the panel, also the the board members itself. So the the panel <clears throat> is a panel that would be chaired by the chief justice or a person appointed by the chief justice. Excuse me. <clears throat> And as far as I can recall, the provision saying that uh, the board must, uh, or the panel must develop their own uh, processes and operation uh, rules, guidance, guiding documents, etc., etc. But it is an entirely panel matter as to how it is established, as well as how board members are appointed. Uh, how will risk management and politics be managed uh, and composition of the board? I think the intervention by now excluding persons that hold political office should uh, not be considered for being appointed to the board would assist. Uh, the demarcation of boundaries, be it outside or internal, and that it is that it does not become uh, party political. Uh, the issue around determining the number of members by the minister, I looked at the provision and uh, it just says in section 7 that, uh, and that's the demarcation. I think I may have missed the section that the Honourable Member was referring to, and if I have, uh, maybe my colleagues that have been also taking notes, Mr. Nkeshli can come in and, and respond to that specific matter <coughs> raised by Honourable Treza. Uh, Honourable Butelesi, I have uh, uh, referred the matters that you've raised to the acting CEO of demarcation board and I think I have also indirectly also responded to your question around how often will municipal capacity assessments take place I think I have 
responded to that uh, already. <clears throat> uh, Honorable Nkalipi raises the issue of the minister appointing the board members. The, the legislation is quite clear, both presently and in the bill, that there is a selection panel that is appointed that undertakes the process of uh, appointing the board. So uh, providing selection, identification of the board members, but ultimately appointed by the president. Also raised the issue of how far does independence go? And I've indicated that we've tried to to attend to the matter by uh, excluding persons that hold political office by becoming members. Uh, and we hope that this will go a long way in terms of ensuring that we do not have uh, persons holding political office as members of the board. <clears throat> the matter around the lack of resources of the board was raised as well which has not allowed the board to, the present board to undertake uh, a kind of decentralized model of having provincial offices. And as it has been indicated in the past, it was because of a lack of resources, financial resources in the main. And, and simply put, you know, I think this is a national treasury process, a funding matter, and you know, if on review by the National Treasury, resources do become available uh, and a case being made by the board, you know, for provincialization, I think that could be a matter that the National Treasury would once again consider. <clears throat> uh, Honorable Chair, that's as far as I could uh, pick up on issues that were raised by Honourable Members, if I have omitted anything, I do apologise. But let me ask uh, Mr. Keshley from my team to respond to any issues that I may have omitted. And then through you, Honourable Chair, uh, hand over to Mr. Ramagadza, the Acting CEO of the Board, to respond to those specific issues. And perhaps lastly, if uh, the Chief State Law Advisor wants to add anything, from a drafting perspective, could also be given the opportunity. But thank you very much, Honourable Chair, uh, for your attention. Thanks. Thank you. Let's follow that order then as suggested. Um, thank you okay. very much, Honourable Chair. And uh, Dr. Naidu, I, I think there's only one uh, that has been omitted from my side from the uh, Honorable Teresa, whereby was asking the question if whether uh, the bill accommodates a situation whereby a municipality has got a geographical size that is much wider and uh, makes it difficult for councillors to travel from distance. Uh, what I want to highlight here is that that is covered in the Structures Amendment Act uh, 2021. And if you look at section seven, I mean in section 20 of that act, it now permits the MEC to deviate by 20% uh, 
in the cases where the geographical size of the local municipality is greater than 20,000 uh, square kilometers, and if less than 35 councillors have been determined for the municipality in terms of the formula. So that was done merely to address that uh, honorable chair, because if you look at uh, the direct global municipality in the Northern Cape, the Gauteng province can fit the geographical three times. So that's why the deviation now, as compared to the previous deviation by the embassies, was permitted. Of course, the MEC can do that in consultation with or in concurrence with the minister. Thank you. Okay, the next one. Uh, thank, thank you. Thank you very much, members, uh, uh, chairperson, and all esteemed members of the committee. Uh, yes, I would want to, as uh, indicated by Dr. Naidu, uh, yes, we did make a, a number of inputs from the demarcation board, obviously out of experience and all that. Um, uh, let me start with the questions that uh, I think Honorable Brink raised regarding the criteria or the factors that needs to be considered, especially from MNO. I'll probably take P and Q as well, just to provide uh, some, some, some background. I think, um, Honorable Brink, you, you're quite right. Uh, often when, when people are, are writing, especially from their own area of work, we tend to forget that we need to communicate to everybody else. Uh, however, just to clarify, I, I, I don't have a problem if the department could be able to, to to define that geo common geostatistical building blocks. However, just to clarify why that all this comes from in South Africa, the, the an example that I could give of, of that uh, common what we can maybe say is a common geostatistical building block. It's enumerator areas uh, that the uh, the statistics South Africa use for 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 the census and all the like. So those are some of the things that we have. Uh, at the moment, uh, I think, uh, but also there are many, uh, many, many other in the development area. There are many other uh, building blocks uh, that people may want to use. But uh, the one that I think most of us will be uh, familiar with, it's, it's more the enumerator areas because that against those um, uh, geographic spaces, you are able to get statistics aligned to them. Uh, so that you do your proper calculations when you are doing municipal boundary redeterminations. Uh, and and as, it, as you can see that as it goes towards the end where it says, for, for which facilitate and support a, a standard geographical hierarchy. Uh, it's pretty much if, if we play our system correctly, we may uh, use, uh, for example, uh, enumerator. There's been a lot of questions previously about why for example, you, you you rely more on registered voters in some instances, but this in, uh, and not population. But for municipal boundary redetermination process, we rely mainly on population, and it's it's always very uh, better if you have a, 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 let me call them geographical spaces that from which you can be able to align uh, statistical information, demographics, and all that that you can do better analysis. It, it, it really comes from that, but I don't want to, to say that it cannot be defined better so that there's no uh, confusion in that regard. 
Then the next one, which relevant national development policies and plans which might impact on the nature of local government. The idea here, again, yes, I agree with you that these are very broad. And generally, if you, if you check even those that are existing, some of them are very general. But operationally or practically, what we do as the demarcation board, we have gone a step further to understand each one of them. We have developed indicators that are very broad and minute uh, to very specific things that we need to look at with regard to each one of them. And uh, I think the department here was trying to at least cover the idea that uh, at national government and, and sometimes at provincial government and even at local government from time to time, there might be uh, policies that, that may have an influence on the spatial makeup of the areas which the, the board will have to consider. But considering doesn't necessarily mean that you, you, you have to follow, but at least we need to look at those things so that we do not find boundaries that are going against what government is looking to, to achieve in a long term or medium term. So that's the, the, the idea around making sure that uh, the MTB is one of the factors in determining municipal boundaries. Uh, we look at relevant national development policies and plans that might be there. Uh, for example, at local government, you will have special development plans, uh, national and provincial, some of them would have provincial development frameworks and plans and uh, uh, growth and development plans that are from time to time put in place. So this was an, uh, an effort to make sure that those things are not ignored uh, as part of demarcation process, because you may define municipalities that goes against the, 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 the vision of, of, of government as a whole, or even a state as a whole, if you are not uh, cognizant of some of those things. And, and that relates to O as well. And um, with regards to P, uh, it's, it's very important because uh, areas are not the same. Uh, I've heard members indicating that you need, we need ultimately to define, to determine municipalities that are, that are, uh, that have got revenue base and all the like. But it's a fact that areas in South Africa are different out of the history that we come from. But it's important to look at the natural environments uh, that each and every area might have so that we can be able to determine whether an area has got a chance to, 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 to have a proper revenue base either in the future or in the short term. And also look at whether they are, those are being exploited to an extent that a municipality could be able to survive uh, out of those. So yeah, so that's that's uh, our thinking around those. But I acknowledge the fact that yes, they are very broad uh, to an extent that when you're putting together a legislation like this, uh, if you were to go specific on each one of them, uh, the, the the law or the act might end up very long. But like I said, what we do. We break down each and every one of these and we develop sub-indicators that we use to, to as we analyze the different areas that we have in, in, the, in the country. And then with uh, members also raised a number of issues about community protests. Uh, I think Member Direkos raised it as well. Member Mkalipi raised it as well. Yes, it, it is a concern, but the question was, what are, what's in this bill, as Dr. Naidu has indicated, what's in this bill that will at least try and solve some of those challenges? Uh, you would realize that in the current legislation, uh, issues of public participation are not explicit. They are there, but they're not explicit enough. For in this particular bill, 
uh, I think it's section 29, it tries to elevate issues of public participation and consultation on how those should be done. And it, uh, it, it becomes very elaborate in terms of what the, the authority has to do in making sure that uh, people are, are brought on, on board and they participate in the process. But also, most importantly, when all is said and done, uh, this particular bill provides the, the appeals authority. Uh, in, instead of people going uh, having only an option of going to court, it provides for an appeals authority, which will look at whether the municipal demarcation board followed the, the, the process accordingly, and people can appeal, and those things will be looked at again. So that's an endeavor to try and make sure that we minimize the, the, the dissatisfaction. It will always be there. Uh, I think we always uh, acknowledge the fact that demarcation, where you are moving a boundary from one place to the other, in one way or the other, uh, there will be people who are dissatisfied. But we are trying to do that to make sure that we minimize uh, that uh, uh, as far as possible. And then there was a question about, uh, I think, Dr. And I do touch on it a little bit with regards to whether the municipal demarcation board, I think it was member Brink who raised it, whether the municipal demarcation board has got capacity to do um, municipal capacity assessments in these intervals that are being proposed here. Uh, as much as currently we, we may not have enough financial resources, but the system, as Dr. Nadu has indicated, we think it's very important that it must be elevated to an extent that it becomes more upfront. Uh, and, and, and the thinking is that if it becomes more upfront, uh, people will use it more often or, or more regularly because the information will be there regularly to an extent that uh, we may even link it, uh, the outcomes thereof to issues that government does which are not necessarily part of this particular act, like, for example, the intervention, Section 139 and all that, where we've always had, we've always had challenges, uh, especially the provincial governments always had challenges when they intervene, where they were supposed to be very specific on what are the issues that they, they are taking over. So this process can also be brought in to provide the information that may be used uh, for that process. But also, I think it was Member Tresa who raised an issue about whether this is linked to the support and capacity building of, of, of municipalities. And But he was asking it in the context of the 10-year. Yes, uh, one of the reasons why we wanted to be 10 years is because uh, five years was not enough to allow a municipality to, 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 to establish itself and also build its own capacity but also getting support from provinces and local and national for them to be able to, to function properly. And as soon as they were just about to be, uh, to be established, a boundary changed again. We thought, no, that, that cannot be. So we need to have to give them a, a much longer period to allow for that capacity and, and proper analysis will, will tell whether indeed the issues that are, giving, uh, that are being experienced in those municipalities have got anything to do with boundaries or not. Because what we picked up is that most of the uh, challenges that are experienced at a municipal level, uh, including those that are amalgamated, have, have got very little to do with the boundary or the spatial makeup of the area. Uh, however, when people experience those, uh, like governance issues, dysfunctionality, financial mismanagement, and all that, uh, people often think the solution will be to demarcate and amalgamate or de-amalgamate. So what we're saying, what we're saying is, 
people need to, to systematically work on support and capacity building over a period of time so that it, even the board will do the assessment and see if the challenges that they are being experienced are spatial in nature or it's just it's other things that may be taken care of with through other processes. And I think uh, member Butelezi spoke about the, the provision that talks about delegation of, by the board of, to either members of the staff or employee or committees. Uh, with regards to committees, it's standard procedure. Uh, I think it, it's even uh, governed, governed in terms of the um, uh, Public Finance Management Act that the records of the different committees of the board are actually treated as those of the board. Uh, and, and, and in essence, uh, even in, through our experience, uh, uh, the board uh, actually is even provided for in terms of this bill and even the, the current legislation. The board cannot delegate, delegate at all its decision in as far as it relates to municipal boundary determination or, or what delimitation process. Those cannot be delegated. So uh, members can rest assured that the records with and as far as it relates to those will always be lie within the context of the of the board processes uh, in as far as any other function that the board may delegate relates to administrative Are, 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 are reported there and they are recorded as part of the audit and risk committee uh, all the time and on a quarterly basis. I also want, uh, uh, I think Member Mkalipi raised the issues of complaints, uh, uh, which is very much aligned to, the, to, to community projects, but specifically, uh, I think she's worried about uh, the, uh, after the outcomes that certain things cannot be changed and all that. And I, I did allude to the fact that to get around that problem where we, after the board has taken final decisions, we, we, we always go around and say we can't change our decisions uh, in that way. I think that is taken care of in terms of the appeals uh, authority. Uh, I think I'll stop here. I'm not sure if I've, I've missed any that uh, Dr. Naidu has asked me to take care of. Thanks. Uh, the last one. I think the legal... Uh, uh, person, if it's still there, or there's anything to be added? Yes, Chair. I will start with the, the drafting areas for clarity. In terms of the definitions that the Honorable Member indicated, geostatistical building blocks and geographical hierarchy, when we're drafting the ALIF, According to the committee's instructions, we can insert the proposed definitions accordingly. The other issue was clarity around the meaning of functions allocated by the minister and MEC to municipalities, but it wasn't included in there to municipalities. Reference was made to the Structures Act. We can also, when we are formulating the A-list, clean that up so it's very clear as to the intention of that specific provision. Chair, um, the issue of membership of the board, and I believe Dr. Naido also touched on this. 
Current Act Section 133B provides more or less that a board member elected to office ceases to be a member. We have attempted to capture this under Clause 9.2 of the bill, which refers to disqualification from being a member or remaining a member. But once again, if this is not too clear, we can be more specific in terms of Section 9.2, because we say the following persons are disqualified from becoming or remaining a member of the board, and under E, a person holding a political office. So that will cover a member that comes in and is elected as a member and six months down the line, he now holds a political office. In terms of appointment of board members and reference to specific criteria, clause 10.3 of the bill provides the selection panel may determine its own procedure, including its decision-making procedure, which must be fair and transparent. But this must be read together with qualifications of board members under section 9.1. A member of the board must be a South African citizen, have the necessary qualifications, experience or knowledge in relation to, and then we've got um, sub-items A all the way to X, well, the Roman numerals coming in, which specifically states which areas that they need to be or have experience in. And that together with section 10.1, where the panel makes their own decision-making procedures, that more or less would cover the criteria in terms of appointment of board members. Chair, the current section 5.2, the board borrowing money, and when I say current section 5.2, I'm referring to the current act. Um, we must remember that the Demarcation Board Act was enacted in 1998, and the PFMA came into operation in 1999. So in terms of this bill, we've said under, sorry, Chair, Status of Authority, Clause 4. The authority is a constitutional institution listed under Schedule 1 of the PFMA and is subject to the Public Finance Management Act. So the Public Finance Management Act regulates extensively financial matters for constitutional institutions, uh, sorry, constitutional entities. The demarcation board is already listed there, but we wanted to formalize it in this legislation. So it was not necessary to pick out specific matters of taking loans, borrowing, because the go-to is the PFMA. However, should the committee wish that we import those provisions into the bill, that can be easily done under the A-list. Chair, sure. the other issue was, one of the honorable member raised the issue of information held by the authority and how this will be accessible to the public. Once again, this act, the Demarcation Board Act, was enacted in 1998. The Promotion of Access to Information Act. Uh, sure. Sure. Yes, uh, Please, uh, the, the presenter now, who is just responding. Uh, we, are, we are noting as members of parliament, each and every clause here, uh, in terms of the preparations that we make, 
and and she's just she's just she's just saying another member. What 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 what, what constitute that kind of attitude? Because uh, we are uh, noting. Honourable, so, so she, I think we, we are noting we are noting. the focus of the responses and the quality of the responses that she she's giving us. Honourable, I, I, I didn't uh, take note of what you are saying. If there's such, uh, I think she, she, will, she will correct herself. But let's focus on the issues. I, I, I didn't notice what you are saying in terms of attitude. I was also taking notes as, as she was making reference to, to that. Let's try to so uh, demand... Equality, because what we are going to do here, we are not going to sleep and prepare for this, for this, for these issues. And people just come and say that particular member without uh, 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 telling us what what is the name of that man. No, no, no. I agree with you, but I'm saying my, my focus as well was not on. I didn't notice what you are saying, but let's let's focus on the issues now. I'm saying let that be corrected. And let's focus on the issues as she is responding to some of these uh, technical uh, issues that were raised as part of the question. So I'm saying, I I hear what you are saying. I don't have a problem with that. She also is listening. I think she will correct that. But let's focus on the content. Thanks. Uh, uh, Can you continue? Chair, I must apologize to all the honorable members. I um, I didn't mean any disrespect. I do apologize. Um, and, and this is not the concern of the committee, but on my side, I'm having technical problems because um, I couldn't access the meeting through my laptop and I'm doing it through my cell phone. So my apologies, members, to all the honorable members for the way I'm reading off my notes. I have, I don't mean any disrespect and um, I hope you accept my apology. Uh, yes, accepted. Let's continue. Um, Chair, when I was, I think I stopped at access to information, information held by the authority and how this information is going to be made, made accessible. I've indicated that the uh, current Demarcation Act was enacted in 1998. And the Promotion to Access to Information Act was enacted in 2000. And this regulates, amongst other things, information that's held by public bodies. This is once again extensively uh, regulated. So the default position is that should a person wish to inquire or request information from the authority. It will be done in terms of the procedures of the Promotion to Access to Information Act. Alternatively, the simplest approach is in our constitution. We have a right to information. So it could be done by way of a simple request. However, if it's more intricate, then the um, Authority will follow the procedures in terms of the Promotion of Access to Information Act. Uh, The other issue was the delegation of functions to employees. 
by the authority and the access to financial records. The, um, the procedure or the thinking behind this issue is simply that it's an internal procedure for the authority to determine. And um, it will be based on their security policies. However, once again, if the committee should recognize that this is essential to the legislation, under the A-list, it can be formalized and included into the bill. Thank you, Chair. Thank you, uh, honorable members. Uh, thank you. Uh, I'll take uh, hands uh, that want to follow up. Uh, I see Honorable Brink. Uh, any further hands? Honorable Brink, can you come in? Thank you very much, Chairperson. And I note the answers, especially by um, by Ms. Naidu. I almost forgot her name and almost made myself guilty of, of what she just apologized for. Um, as well as Mr. Ramagatsa. Uh, I just want to ask the following follow-up questions in respect of the factors in the new bill that have to be considered in determining de- uh, determinations and redeterminations of boundaries. Um, in response to Ms. Naidu, I think the problem with common geostatistical building blocks is that you can, I suppose, define it when we get to the clause-by-clause process. But surely the purpose of legislation is not to fill in the details as you go along, but to actually understand fundamentally uh, what you are trying to accomplish and what you are writing down fundamentally means. And in this regard, a thank you to Mr. Ramagatsa for his attempted explanation of common geostatistical building blocks and as an example he mentioned um, census enumerator areas or census enumerator boundaries would would be an example of a common geostatistical building block but you know in the existing act and under some of the provisions of the of the uh, bill um, the census enumerator boundaries are already a factor to be considered. So section 25 uh, sub G of the existing act says, in order to attain the objective set out in section 24, the board must, when determining a municipal boundary, take into account existing and proposed functional boundaries, including magisterial districts, voting districts, health, transport, police, and censor enumerated boundaries. So why would you then uh, include sensor enumerator areas or boundaries as, as one of the examples of common geostatistical building blocks? Uh, and, and I'm not criticizing Mr. Ramagatsa. I appreciate his answer, uh, and I think it's a sincere, but I think it also gives us pause to consider um, what are we in fact trying to say here? Uh, I don't think it's very clear uh, what the intention is, um, and we, we would need to see um, some sort of a written indication of what this means before we just jump and say, okay, well, we'll, we'll fix that problem when we get to to the clause-by-clause clause, uh, aspect of dealing with the legislation. Then secondly, Chairperson, the answer 
uh, by Mr. Ramagatse in respect of clause 24 uh, sub N and O is quite concerning because if you look at O in particular, it says that one of the criteria now to be considered should be relevant national and provincial policies and legislation relating to the reorganization of local government. Now, uh, Chairperson, the risk here is the Municipal Demarcation Board or Authority, as they propose to call themselves in the bill, is a constitutional entity. It has to consider constitutional issues. And the risk of specifying that relevant national and provincial policies, very specifically as to the reorganization of local government, should be considered, that risk is to potentially subordinate constitutional issues to matters of policy by the government of the day. Uh, and, and that is a significant risk. And, and that's why among a list of fairly broadly defined considerations, uh, I am concerned about this very specific reference to policy of national government into ALIA about reorganization of local government. Um, what the Municipal Demarcation Board or authority does is to make decisions that should uh, apply for years and terms to come, not to serve a particular government. And, and I would really suggest that these additional factors um, is just going to co uh, complicate the work of the uh, Municipal Demarcation Authority um, and open the gate to abuse of process. Um, but Chairperson, I uh, look forward to uh, further opportunities to give input into this uh, draft legislation. Thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, I'm sure all of us will continue to have that opportunity, but I'll allow them, if uh, I've noted the difficulty, uh, uh, Kevin Naidu is having a technical difficulty, uh, so the response might uh, also, she sent me a chat that says there's that difficulty. But anyone who can uh, comment on what uh, Honorable Bring have just said, but uh, as part of that as well, we'll continue to have this opportunity to engage with this as we continue. Uh, I don't know who to call. Anyone who can comment on what uh, Honorable Bring have said? When I say anyone, the first one would have been Dr. Naidu. And uh, if there's nobody ready, I'll appeal to Honorable Pring to say next time we'll, we'll, we have noted the issues he has raised. Uh, if there's no other person. Uh, uh, Honorable members, it looks like uh, Honorable Pring, there will be no response on the basis of that technical glitch that has been reported in the chat. Honorable uh, Chair, sorry. Okay, okay. Uh, yes, I've been, you know, experiencing challenges and I've got uh, disconnected at the time. I think you requested for an input and perhaps to just say to uh, 
the honorable member, well, generally to all inputs that have been made, we will sincere, sincerely consider that. I think this is the beginning of the journey still of further consultations, engagements with this host of, of stakeholders still. And, and seeing that, uh, you know, the bill could be a Section 76 bill, there could be even further engagements that would be undertaken through the NCOP process. So I think beginning of the journey, still a long way to go, and we will sincerely uh, consider the inputs that have been made here and to be made in further engagements. So thank you very much, Honorable Chairperson and all honorable members of the committee. Thank you. Thank you. Um, uh, honorable members for today, that concludes the business of the day. As indicated, this is, is the start of the process. And uh, I'm sure uh, all our focus would be as we, uh, honorable, as I was taking, we're taking copious notes. And I'm sure beyond that as well, we are going to engage with the bill. And as more information comes in, uh, we'll continue to engage. Thank you very much. Uh, if there's nobody who will die, I'll close the session. I'll only see by hand if there's anybody who might feel a uh, 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 not, uh, but I don't see any hand. Can I say thank you very much? Uh, uh, first, to the presenters and those who responded to some of the questions we raised. And uh, thank you very much, uh, members, for your engaging questions. And I'm sure this process is going to be a fruitful process as we represent the people and as we collect information further. The meeting is adjourned. Thank you very much. The Thank meeting you. is adjourned. Thank you. Thank you, Chair. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Recording stopped.